0: We're doing a PowerPoint, I think, this morning here. Are we doing a PowerPoint? <laughs> okay, this is uh, nerve-wracking for me. This is only, I can count on two hands the number of times I've done PowerPoint before, and I've uh, done uh, Microsoft Word, of course. Some of you computer literate people, you know what I'm talking about, but PowerPoint is a foreign concept to me, of course. I'm lear- just learning, thanks to Lucio, who's preaching away today, And uh, but uh, I don't know if they can stay with me or if I can stay with them. Uh, well, I don't have the pictures in front of me, but we'll do the best we can. We're starting a five week series of messages this morning, the first of five messages. Notice first number one of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians. This church, Paul's first letter, written, we believe, around 52 AD to this place at Thessalonica, a real place with the real church, in a real point in time, admittedly almost 2,000 years ago, but nevertheless done less real. The story is told about the young boy, the 8-year-old boy that went to the museum with his father, of course, and it was a historical museum, of course, and they were looking at all these artifacts and so forth. And after a half hour, 45 minutes, the young boy said, Dad, I'm bored. This is boring. I want to go to someplace real. Well, I want you to know that Thessalonica, it's still there today, by the way. It's a real place. There was a church that was birthed there, and we're going to talk more about it here in a minute. Here in the background of it, in just a few moments here, but it's a real place. And uh, I guess the key word that I want to e- interject, or rather emphasize, in the next five weeks is the word "still." It's still real, and I want you to know this morning, as we begin this series of messages, I want to talk about the the church still works, even in 21st century, 2120, or 2021 20, COVID era. The church still works. And the ate, of God be true, but every man a liar. And all God's people said, and God's word is still alive and it's still working and it's still changing souls. And, and uh, church is still, gets help on our prevail against his church. And so let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, do a work of grace, Lord, as these words were penned almost 2,000 years ago by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, use them fresh and anew to speak to our hearts this morning, to Harvest Baptist Church. Lord, we do pray a prayer blessing upon every other gospel-preaching church around this country, around New England and around the globe. We particularly think of Calvary Baptist Church in Norfolk one more time, Virginia, that is. Dear God, bless As Pastor Spencer's absent this morning in the hospital bed. And Lord, bless her church body this morning. Lord, do a work of grace there at Calvary Baptist this morning as well, we pray. We'll give you all the praise and glory for it. pray, pray now that you bless our minutes together around thy wonderful word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Church of Thessalonica. I want to give you its background. To be seated, the background, and begin in verse number one. One more time. It says, "Paul and Silvanus uh, and uh, that Silas and Tim- Timotheus unto the Church of the Thessalonians, or the Ecclesia, the called-out assembly of the Thessalonians, uh, which is in God and the Father, uh, the Father. Pardon me, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this city of." Thessalonica was used to be called Thema. It was founded in 315 BC for the record. It was renamed later on by, for the, in honor of uh, Thessalonica, the half-sister of Alexander the Great. Uh, Rome conquered it in 186 BC, and it became the capital province of the northern part of Macedonia. I don't know if we have the... Oh, we do have the map up there. Good. I, I don't have it on my sheets here, of course, but... Uh, you see the GNC and the Adriatic Sea, of course. And over here to the right, here I should have a pointer. We have the, we have more we know of today's modern day Turkey and the Seven Churches of Asia Minor. And you see the red dot there, of course, with the, the arrow pointing to this where Thessalonica is, uh, right on the coastline. And then Berea would be 40 miles to the due west. Philippi, another famous city and country, or rather church that we have the Book of Philippians to, is obviously to the east of it. And uh, maybe we go to that next map here if we could here, or rather the next. Uh, um, On Paul 's second missionary journey, he founded this, this capital city of this province. It was estimated 200,000 population in Paul 's day. It was mostly of Grecian um, population, but there were some Romans there, Roman citizens, of course, and then of course there' was Jews. We read about the birth of this church, or rather the background of this church, in, in Acts chapter 17 verses 1 to 15. And uh, it was an important city back in Paul's days. It's an important city today. It's still there today. It's a town of 330,000 today. And I think you can, yeah, just do your thing up there. I got to quit looking behind here. I don't know what's happening behind me, but it's all good. So the the church at Thessalonica, of course, is a real place in a real time. And um, yes, almost 2,000 years ago, the gates of hell should not prevail against this church. And I'm sure there's believers in Thessaloniki or Thessalonica or Solonka or saloniki all the same name for the same place of modern-day Greece. Love to go there, probably never get there, but that's another story. But we see the background in verse number one. It was founded by Paul and Savannah and Timotheus, and it was, uh, and let's go to the birth, if we could, the birth of this church, the little, 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 little part of verse number one. It says, uh, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace, grace, Be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, secondly, this morning here in regards to this church, it's something like not only its birth but its its background, but its birth. And uh, this is a local, visible, real, tangible, physical. I'm trying to use all the proper adjectives. This is a real live church, just like this church. Obviously, when it started, it didn't have this many people to it. Obviously, we read about one famous member of the church his name was Jason we'll talk more about Jason in a few moments Lord willing but we see this local church and uh three weeks ago of course Brittany and Eric got hitched and of course in a couple of weeks from now three weeks from now we'll have another wedding in regards to Stephen and Ashley we're we'll getting married they're not here this morning they're up in New York but they'll getting married in 20 days from now here at the house of God God ordained the institution of marriage one of the three God ordained institutions uh, to the procreation of human mankind. Then he ordained human government, Acts, Genesis chapter 9. But the third and most important ordaining in regards to the, the exclusive ordaining or the fulfillment of the Great Commission, God ordained the local New Testament church that called out assembly to reach the world to Christ. And God has a plan A to win the world to Christ in this New Testament age of grace, it's church age, as we call it. And it's through the local New Testament church that he needs no plan B because plan A works just fine. And the gates of hell should not prevail against his church. And so, I want you to know that God uses, as we see this passage of Scripture before us, back to verse one for a moment. The church, by the way, in Acts 17 verses one to fifteen, for time's sake, we're not going to turn there. Just trust me read it afterwards this afternoon. But we see the birth of the church. It was uh, birthed in three Sabbath days, three weeks' time. Paul went to the Sabbath on uh, went to the synagogue. Pardon me on the Sabbath day, Saturday, of course and expounded and openly alleged that Jesus was the Christ. And uh, for three weeks, and then he was chased out of town, and he went to Berea, and Jason and, uh, was uh, was uh, imprisoned, evidently, and uh, uh, caught up by the mob, and he was persecuted because he let Paul uh, be in his house. But we see the church was birthed in three weeks' time. We see that there's were three missionaries, uh, a team of missionaries that... Uh, Birth the church, Paul and Silvanus, of course, and Timothy, of course. But I want you to notice as we begin this morning in regards to its birth, God uses people to birth his church. And um, I have a five-point outline that's not on your worksheet, of course, but you folks that of the subpoints. here it goes. First of all, we see the person of Christ or the person of the Savior in verse number one again. This is how it was birthed. It was birthed by the, Lord, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. And it's his church. We say this is our church, and we uh, say, and I always shudder when a few times people mistake and say, this is Marty Schott's church. It's not Marty Schott's church, I promise you that. God needs me like he needs a hole in the head, no pun intended. But uh, God's church is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people said. And so Christ is the, uh, uh, the founder and the originator of the church. So we see the person of the Savior in verse 1. We see the placing of the saints in verse number 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, Paul said, making mention of you in our, uh, in our prayers. And uh, did you ever stop and think about it, that God placed you here? I mean, some of us have a love-hate relationship with our state that we happen to live in. I'm sorry, Paul said, I've learned what's over state. I mean, there were to be content. And I read between the lines, I mean, if, even if you live in Connecticut, you got to be content. And all God's people said, oh me. That was real. Yeah. <laughs> But God put us here. He didn't put us in the Bible Belt. God didn't put us in conservative areas. God put us here in Connecticut, in liberal bastion of Connecticut, in godless Connecticut. And I could start to run a rabbit trail real fast here. But why did God put you here? Did you ever ask the question? And I got to be careful here as I better couch this properly in my right verbiage. But you married couples, did you ever ask yourself, especially when you're early on married, did I make the right decision? And uh, did I marry the right person and so forth? And we all have those, those thoughts. It's my wife's birthday today. And all God's people said, amen to Sonny. It's her birthday today. Uh, 40, Forty years we've been married. And uh, it's been bliss ever since. Amen to that. And so and, uh, I got to go home and be with her today. So and, uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. But God God ordained marriage, of course. And God, uh, and God put us together, of course, in his sovereignty, in his divine plan. And uh, marriage is... Uh, brokered of God, of course. And uh, God, you ever stop and think that God put you at Harvest Baptist Church for such a time as this? He said, I'd rather be in South Carolina, I'd rather be in Tennessee, I'd rather be in you pick your state. But God put you here for a reason, for a specific time. These Thessalonians were there for a reason. They, God placed them there in his body as it pleased him. So we see the person of the Savior in verse 1, the placing of the saints in verse 2. Look at verse 4 real quickly here in the way of this birth of this church. Notice the purchase of the sovereign. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, that's a transliteration, that word election is the word lektos. In the Greek language, I have a reference in my Bible to First Peter chapter 1, verse number 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I don't want to get too deep here, but let me just explain. That word foreknowledge, I like the word in the Greek language. It's the word pro or first, gnosko or first knowledge. God has foreknowledge. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew that one day that you were going to receive him as his savior and that you were going to be born again and you were going to be saved on such and such a date. God knew the day of your birth. I on purpose talked about my wife's birthday because it's today, May 23rd, and uh, God knows not only her birth date of her physical birth, but of her spiritual birth when she got saved as a six-year-old girl. God knows when you get saved and he knows when I got saved and, and we're elect according to the foreknowledge of the uh, and pre-pre-pre-placed pre in heaven already, Ephesians chapter one, because of the purchase of the sovereign. But then, fourthly, quickly, verse number five. Let me slow down here. Verse number five: For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the holy, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance through the Holy Spirit. Notice the. The power of the church was birthed by the power of the Spirit. And we, without him, we can do nothing. Not by might, not by power, nor by strength, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Jesus said in Acts eight, You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. In our vernacular, that's both in New Hartford. And Judea, that's our Connecticut. And Samaria, that's our America. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth, that's our world. And so we see how this church was birthed. It was birthed by the Savior, the the originator of the church, the author and finisher of the church. He had the placing of the saints. These saints that were at at Thessalonica, they were there by divine design. We see the purchase of the sovereign, the, the power of the spirit. And then I want you to notice secondly or thirdly on our worksheet, at least, and. And uh, notice that this church at Thessalonica is not only its background, its birth, but then thirdly, its benevolent deeds. It's good deeds. Notice verse number three. We have a threefold ready-made outline for us, real easy. Paul said, I remember without ceasing your work of faith. Christianity is religion of faith. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For by grace are you saved through What? Faith, and that not of yourselves, this is what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Christianity is a work of faith. If Christians are birthed by faith, and we are, likewise churches are birthed not by finances, but by faith. No self-congratulatory desires am I trying to allude to I think of, uh, I go back, though, 36 and a half years in my mind to when Kristen Beth was born at Three Pounds on December 10th, 1985. On December 11th, the church at Harvest Baptist Church in downtown Torrington was going to vote on me as pastor. I've told the story many times, I received an unanimous vote, five to nothing. And we had five members and, uh, and uh, we had a storefront that was on December 11th, I was voted in as pastor. On December 13th, we were kicked out of our storefront building with no place to go. And we had to be out by the end of the, the, end of the year, the end of uh, 17 days, something like that we had. And the, as they say, the rest is history. But I want you to know, I say that in the context that God gave us some great members of our church and some more members that walked by faith. And we didn't have a penny of support. I could tell you how much we had in the bank and everybody here, almost everybody here would have more money in your bank account, I promise you, than we had as a church in our, in our coffers with no building, just a handful of members. But the Bible says in Matthew 9, verses 36 through 38, our church is built on these verses. The Lord said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth finances to take care of the house of God. Is that what he said? No, he said laborers. God needs people. God uses people. And God blessed our church in those early days because of people and uh, not because of finances. We had not one penny of support. We had, in fact, just a, just a history lesson of our church. Uh, I worked full-time for the first seven and a half years of our church, 40 hours a week, of course, and, and uh, it's not a boast on me. It's a boast on our good people and the Lord's blessing that we, the church went forward. But it was a work of faith. Paul came into town, this church, this city of Thessalonica, knowing nobody that we know of, he came in and by, by faith he started to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and people got saved and born again. It's a work of faith. We're in a kind of rebuilding time in our church. I mean, we're I'm looking at a lot of green this morning still. And we had a lot of green last week and the week before last for that matter. And uh, used to have more people come to church, but then something happened a year and a half ago I won't mention. And, uh, and it's kind of obliterated things pretty good. But we still have a work of faith. We started by faith, we walk by faith, and we need to go on by faith. So there's a work of faith, but then verse number three, the second part of this benevolent deeds that they had was this labor of love. Notice it's a labor, it's a work, it's a work of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, I want to remind us here, and let me streamline this, I'm looking at the clock, I know how much material I want to cover this morning. I believe that we have right doctrine around here. We have the right book to begin with. We have the Bible. Right. We believe God's word to be true, every word of it. We ain't let God be true, but every man a liar. God created the earth in six literal days. And God, God's people said, amen. Well, that was, I caught you off guard, hopefully. It was six literal days for the record, amen. Yeah. And uh, Jonah was swallowed by a whale or by a great fish. That's three days in the... Jesus was three days in the earth, and three days he rose again, literally bodily, from physically from the grave. We believe all of that. It's good to believe in right doctrine, but people don't know. Maybe an overused phrase, but it's true. People don't know how much they don't care how much you know. If they, 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 but they want to know if you care. And maybe be a church of love. The Bible does say that God is love. Christ is love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Five verses, I wanted to give you the verses, but for time's sake, let's just look at one here. Look at chapter 3, verse number 9, and look at the five times we find this word love in the succeeding verses. First uh, Thessalonians 3 and verse number 9, it says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you, and for all the joy wherewith we joy for your... Well, that's a good verse, but that's the wrong verse here. Uh, oh, it's, it's verse 12, I'm sorry. <clears throat> 312. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. I, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back. I think we're a loving church, but could we love more? Sure we could. Do we, some people fall through the cracks? Yes, they do. We need to love, love the brethren with a pure heart fervently. And four more times it talks about this love that this church had and should have, of course. And we have a labor of love. We have a work of faith. But back to chapter 1, verse 3 again. Notice the third point of the outline of this benevolent deeds. And patience. Oh, I don't like that word, patience. I don't have much of it. And patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, we believe. I look forward to see my Savior face-to-face, Whoa, and see my Savior, as Fanny Crosby saying, my Savior, first of all, the blind hymn writer. The patience of hope, this blessed hope that we'll talk about, Lord willing, in a few minutes here. Let's long, though, along to, to verses 6 through 9, and let me give you the fourth thing about this church of Thessalonica. Let's talk about its business for a few moments. It's business. Uh, some people think that we're an entity, we're, we're a business, we're a corporation, we're a we're 503, 5031C, or 5013C, whatever we are by the IRS. I just got mixed up here. We're something like that by the IRS, and uh, we got tax-exempt status. I don't know how long that's going to last, but right now it's still the last in America. People look at us as a business of some sorts. In some ways, we have, we are a business, but we're more than an organization. We're an organism. We're birthed by we're a living organism, birthed by the Lord, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this in our business, though. We see in verse number 6, six seven, and 9. But verse number 6, notice what it says. And you and ye became followers of us, Paul said to these, church, these people at the church of Thessalonica. That you became followers of us and of the Lord. I want you to notice that the twofold business of the church for you, first of all, is the bringing of believers to maturity. God saved us to serve him. God saved us to love him and enjoy him forever. God served us to be disciples, followers of the way, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Five subpoints underneath this, not that you follow it necessarily, no pun intended, but believers are followers. That's what believers are. Follow, follow. I would follow Jesus anywhere. Everywhere. Really? I would follow on. Follow, follow. I would follow Jesus. And he leads me, I would follow on. And Peter had a successful fishing business, and so did James and Andrew, his brother, and James and John. The Bible says in Matthew 4 19 and 20, And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says, And straightway or immediately they left their nets and followed him. What have you left to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? God's called us to be followers. Of him, not only are we to be believers coming to maturity, need to be followers, but then we need to be receivers of his word. Look at verse number. <coughs> excuse me, six again. <coughs> excuse me. And he became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much and in much much affliction. How are you receiving the word? The word of God is going forth. The Bible says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The psalmist said, Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law, thy word is my meditation all the day long. Do you love God's word this morning? In Acts 17, verses 11, it talks about the church at Thessalonica being birthed, and of course it talks about the church at Berea. It says they were more noble than those of the church at Thessalonica, and that they received the word with gladness, and searched the scriptures daily whether these things be so. Do you read God's word every week, or every, excuse me, every day? Do you read God's word through, do you love God's word? Show me somebody that never likes to read God's word, and I'll show you somebody that probably hasn't been born again. Never received Christ as their Savior. There's no appetite for the word of God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. These mature believers, they were they were followers, sincere followers, faithful followers. They received his word. But not only that, they received his word in verse 6 says, with much affliction and, in, and with joy of the Holy Spirit. James 1, 2, I don't like being persecuted, but the uh, Bible says, thank you, Craig. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I don't like to fall into... I don't like to have tribulation happen in my life. I don't like to have affliction. I wanted to go for time's sake, but we won't. To Acts 17, and look at verses 6 through 9. It talks about Jason. Let me just give you the Cliff Notes version of Jason. He was, the uh, Bible says that Paul evidently met in his house, and he was in prison. Jason was in prison. Paul, they had to screw Paul out of town. And he left after three weeks of being there. But Jason then, he had to get bail, bail bondsmen to bail him out of jail, out of Thessalonican jail. And he was an affluent man, evidently. He, was a, he obviously became a Christian, and he suffered persecution. The Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'd say there's one, but there's, I think there's two types of people in this world that are persecuted regularly. First of all, the Jew. I'm waiting for one amen, but anyhow. Uh, you see what's happening and uh, you get your country bombed and, uh, and, and it's your fault for retaliating. Uh, it's an amazing country, the world that we live in today. That's another story. The Jew and then Christians. Christians are open game, are being persecuted around the world, even even in America, not to the extent of other places. But but believers that are mature, they joyfully accept their persecution and their affliction. Verse number seven quickly Another, another part of this business of the church, bringing believers to maturity. Believers are, verse number 7, Paul said, So then ye are examples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. They were, they were, believers are servants. They're examples. Jesus said, I have given to you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. When he washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13. You may, we may not, whosoever be great among you, Jesus said, let him be the servant of all. Uh, I get compliments all the time because I'm the pastor, so people compliment me all the time in regards to the, the beauty of our property. And uh, yesterday is a good example. It's uh, how the beauty of the property happened. Well, it happened by 22, 24, 25 willing hands that came out and worked and labored in sweat, sweat equity. I know the farm across the street, I met the owner, he's doing a fantastic job of rehabbing that place into a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a banquet center, of course, for weddings and so forth and retreats and so on and so forth. And uh, They had a bunch of workers over there, and I, I had to drive in the parking lot and see they had about 10 workers over there they are beautifying the properties. And I looked in, and it's all these professional trucks and vehicles. I said, he's paying everybody he has in order to work or to beautify his land. We're getting all freebies at our, uh, Harvest Baptist Church. People are doing it out of, out of love. They're serving without any pay, any remuneration. God called us to be servants of others. And then verse number nine, just quickly here, in this fourth point here, this business of the church, of maturing believers, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. and Now that you turn to God, there's repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and from idols to serve the living and true God. I want you to know that mature believers, the fifth characteristic of true believers is they root out idols in their lives. And be a little careful here. I might step on somebody's toe. I'm not trying to do it intentionally. I can't think of anybody I might step on a toe of, but here goes anyhow. Colossians 3.5 says, mortify. That's an old English word for kill. Kill, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and concupiscence. Perverted lust, for the record, and con- covetousness, which is idolatry. The Bible says, Colossians three five. But sure, believers root out idolatry in their lives. I'd be very evasive on purpose. And in point of illustration, this past week and last seven days, I talked to a certain somebody. I love this person, and I believe they love me. For the record, and I believe they, I believe, I believe they love the Lord. Uh, today we have a we couch the words in. They're, but they're living together. They're living without marriage. Remember, I'm just old enough when I was a boy, I remember when that was, there was a stigma involved in that. Not anymore. In fact, there's a stigma if you get married now. You know, Living together is it's getting awfully quiet here, but uh, I didn't think I'd step on anybody's toes. I don't think I am. But the but, uh, Bible still calls sin, sin. And the Bible talks about having idolatry in our lives. Covetousness is idolatry. I'm doing my way. Frank Sinatra said, I'll do it my way. And uh, believers root out the idols in their life. Even if they love them, they kill them, that they might serve the Lord, the true and living God. So we see this business of the church is to bring believers to maturity, but then secondly, let her be on our worksheet, verse number 8. Notice what it says in verse number 8. For from you sounded sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, that's upper Greece, and Achaia, that's lower Greece, that's where Corinth, Sparta, and Athens are, or were, or are, I should say, but also in every place, your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Paul said, Your, war, your testimony in just a few short months and years is spread all over the broadcast. They sounded out the word of God. There's the broadcasting of the message. The, the Bible says that we need to go forth and shout it out that Jesus Christ, we sing the song, we have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land, across the fields and cross the waves. Uh, honor it is our Lord's command. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We are broadcasting the good news. You know, last year, let me just give you a side path. <clears throat> for 35 years, I think for 33 of those 35 years, I'm pretty accurate with this. I think we missed one year for some reason. I can't remember what it was. I don't know if we missed one year, but we've had something called Vacation Bible School in the summertime for one week. We didn't do it last year because of You Know Why. And we went two years without, it will be two years since we do VBS. We'll do it in July. I was thinking about it. I talked to my buddy in Ocala, Florida last week. Bob this is his first name. Bob Ladigo, of course. And, uh, His family was a devout Christian family. I've told the story a hundred times for sure, a thousand times probably. He brought me to church every single day. They they called me up and invited me to church since little time I was a little boy. My family didn't go to church anywhere. He invited me to a place called, or to a time called Vacation Bible School. The first church I ever saw as a kid was VBS. Back in those days, they were two weeks long, Monday through Friday, two weeks in a row. I think they were from nine o'clock to like two o'clock. It was like five, it was a marathon. Now we can't get kids for two hours for three nights. Uh, Today it's sad, but I'm afraid a little bit true. We've got to entertain them. But I learned the first words of God in Vacation Bible School. I learned Psalm 23 memorized as an eight-year-old boy probably at Vacation Bible School. I memorized John 3.16, a foreign verse to me, but I memorized John 3.16 in Vacation Bible School. I say that in the context we have an opportunity to broadcast the message to a group of illiterate boys and girls that know not Christ is their Savior. And we got a week to do it, and it's coming up in six weeks now, and the Word of God needs to sound out across our local community, our local Jerusalem, and to uh, points beyond. And we need to bring people to Christ through Vacation Bible School. One way to broadcast the message, we need to have saturation evangelism, where everybody's heard, instead of Acts In Acts 17, verse 6 of the church of Thessalonica, these are they that turn the world upside down with the gospel, of course. The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let me just meddle for one second here, and I'll get back on, on, get off, it's not off track at all, but I'm looking at the mission board. We only have 21 lights back there. We only have 19 right now missionaries represented. At one time, our Harvest Baptist Church, I believe, had 37 or 39 missionaries that we helped support around the world. We're down to 21 at the moment. And I know uh, there's obviously reasons for that and so forth and so on and so on. But this was a missionary church, a missionary-minded church. They gave, as a matter of fact, this church gave specifically, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, was one of the churches of Macedonia that gave sacrificially uh, more so than the church at Corinth because they, were, they, had, they, they, they knew that they had a goal of broadcasting the message around the world. But let me go to number verse number 10, and let's look at our last point here and summarize, and we'll be done here in moments. The Bible says, and to wait for his son from heaven. I've been waiting for a son from heaven since I was a teenage boy. It's been 40-some years ago now for me. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised, that's God the Father raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Oh, a lot in that one verse, and we'll look in the weeks ahead, Lord willing, in more detail as every one of these verses end with this. Every one of these chapters, five chapters of Thessalonians end with this blessed hope. The blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This word, to wait there, there's several words that are used in our Bible in our English Bible for the word wait in our New Testament. This, this word is exclusively found one time in all scripture. it's found right here. It's the word anameno for whatever that means. If you look it up in the Strongest Accordance, it means, this word means to wait up for, to wait up. If I go away, which is very seldom on my own, and I, every once in a while i preach on a Wednesday night somewhere else, I used to do that at least, and I don't do that so much anymore, but I remember, uh, honey, the service will be over at 8.30, I'll be in my car and I'll be driving back home, and I'll be home in two hours, I'll be home at 11.30, She'd usually wait up for me. Now we've been married 40 years, she doesn't wake up, wait, wait up for me any longer. But uh, there's a, she knew there was a point in time when I would come back, and I gave her a delineated time. Jesus said, watch for you. know not our Lord when the Lord, Lord doth come. There's the imminency of the doctrine of the coming of Christ. I want you to turn a couple pages in your Bible to Second Thessalonians. I want you to see this here. And I'm not going to read all the verses, but Second Second Thessalonians, chapter two. The blessed hope of this church at Corinth, or rather, this church at Thessalonica. In Second Thessalonians two, verse number one, it says, "Now we beseech you, we implore you, brethren, by what? By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." Notice, and by the gathering together unto him, soon and very soon he we're going to see the king. He's coming again. Paul says that you be soon not shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter from us. As of the day of Christ is at hand, Paul said. This is, this is about AD fifty-four. Here it is almost two thousand years later, and we're still waiting for this day of Christ. Let no man deceive you, verse three, by any means. For that day shall not, shall not come except there come a falling away first. Now, theologians and good theologians, I might add, differ on what that falling away exactly is. Some believe it's the capturing away, the catching away of every child of God. Some believe that it's talking about the falling away of the, because it's iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold. The, 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 the fact that Christians are growing cold towards the things of Christ. Never before in American history, Pew Research says just in recent months, or the last couple months, that church attendance in America is at an all-time low in our, modern, in our American history. Uh, this, should, this disease should have brought people back to the house of God. And I know there is a time, incubation time, I get all that, you do, do, do too, but it's time to rise up and be counted once again as soldiers of Christ. And here we see this, there become a falling away first. And the man of sin shall be revealed. That man of sin is not um, Jeff Bezos or, or, or Bill Gates or you fill in the blank with your favorite person you love to despise. He's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes all that himself. I want to read verses 4 to 10, but for time's sake, I'll give you an assignment. You read it afterwards. There's coming a day when there's a catching away. We call it the rapture. The rapture of the church, and where we caught up together with them in the clouds. We'll read it in week number four of these serious messages here in First Thessalonians 4. But fast forward to, I'm still in Second Corinthians 2. Fast forward to verse number 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Let me, let me spell it out in Marty shot version. There's coming a day when there's going to be a trump that sounds that only the those alive in Christ are going to hear. It will be very clear for us that are born again. And it's going to say, come up hither, and we're out of here. Faster than a twinkling of an eye. Faster than the speed of light. Faster than, uh, what's the Superman thing? The dog, dog, uh, oh, whatever. I lost it. It went away. But anyhow, we're going to be out of here. And this world is going to be thrown into a seven year tribulational period of time called the time of Greg Jacobs' trouble. The seven year seven-year tribulation period of time. And CNN and MSNBC and Fox News, for that matter, and MSNBC and CBS and all the rest of them are going to get their news anchors on and they're going to say, oh, aliens came and zapped away millions of people. This is the Marty Shot version. Do you see all the talk on the radio and on the television just in recent days? It used to be just, pardon me, just quacks believed in UFOs and outer space and aliens. Now it's becoming mainstream. I mean, now it's, this is science. They're out there. They, it's happening. Well, they're out there, all right. It's called Satan and his principalities and powers of the darkness of this air, this earth. And they're, they're going to deceive the hearts of millions. You say, oh, that'll never happen. That's too far-fetched. That's like science fiction. Hey, we've been living science fiction for the last year and a half, my friends. <laughs> it's going to be science fiction all right. It's going to be God's reality is going to take place. And the Bible says, a very sobering verse. One more verse and we'll summarize here. I'm starting to get off subject here. No, I'm not off subject. I'm just rambling. I'm having fun rambling. They, "That They all might be damned, verse number 12, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure... In unrighteousness. One day us are waiting, we're waiting up for the coming of the Lord. One day he's coming back, not as the Lamb of God, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's coming in the clouds. He's gonna catch away his bride. Revelation 19. It's all there in the book. Read it for yourself. The bridegroom's cometh. He's coming. He's gonna take us away. This world is gonna be cast into darkness in the wrath of God, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, and we summarize, and we're done. And to wait for his dear son, or for, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, whom he delivered us, which delivered us from the wrath, the seven-year tribulation to come. I want you to know that the church still works, because in summation, Jesus is still the answer. I wanted, I asked Sarah just yesterday, I guess it was the day before, I love that song, Jesus is still the answer. Some of you know it. The time and ages roll. Jesus is still the answer. He's the answer for your soul. John 14, 6 is still in the book. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is still the answer, and he is. Peter said there's salvation in no other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If Jesus is still the answer and he is, then the church is still the place to shout out the truth. First Timothy 3 15, one verse. But if I tarry along, then thou mayest know how thou must behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and ground of the tr- truth. I end with an illustration. We're done, I promise. i got to be evasive on purpose. Some of you know my neighborhood. Some of you know my house. live in a nice neighborhood, nice house. I think there's 14 houses on my road. We're the last of the Mohicans, pardon the slang. We're the last ones to still be original owners. Everybody else has moved out, gone. Most houses are under second and third to ownership. We have one of our neighbors not too far away, just one side, uh, just be evasive on purpose. Some of you know my neighborhood, and some of you know some of my neighbors. I noticed his wife hasn't been around for a couple of few months here. The kids aren't around. They're going through, it's very obvious, a separation. I got to thinking. I went through my neighborhood, and I says, those 14 houses, most, not all, their, their ownership of their house disintegrated because they're... Their house disintegrated, i.e. their marriage disintegrated. You know, they needed, they needed the Lord in their life is what they need. They need church in their life. Church still works. Church is still important. Church, you need it in your life. I need it in my life. And the gates of hell should not prevail against this church. And Jesus shed his blood for the church. The Bible says that Paul and Timotheus or Silas and Sil- Silvanus pardon me and Timotheus under the church of God the church of Jesus Christ still works and all God's people said Amen. heavenly father thank you for your word this morning Lord we're, no, we're far from a perfect church one day you're going to present uh, us to yourself a church without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing you're going to present us flawless in front of your exceeding glory right now Lord we have a lot of wrinkles Right now, we don't love like we should. I I confess this as a pastor. We don't have the patience of hope like we should. We don't have the labor of love and the the work of faith like we should oftentimes. But, Lord, we love you. We want to love you more. We work, but, Lord, we can work harder. Work for the night is coming when no man can work. Lord, help us to be about your business. Lord, in 2021, the Church of Jesus Christ still works. The Church of Jesus Christ is still pertinent. It's still necessary. Though millions have come and gone, Lord, and hundreds have come and gone from this assembly and other gospel preaching assemblies around the, uh, our New England and around America, yet you're still viable, Lord. Your church is still, you're still precious in your sight. You still have your power of your spirit. I pray you'd bless in this, your assembly, dear God. We confess again for the thousandth time, this is not our church, Lord. We're just privileged to be a part of it. This is your church. You died for it. We love you, and we thank you that you place us in the body. Lord bless this morning, here dear God, with Christians, dear God, may we walk with Christ. May we walk with you. I pray for those that need to be saved. Christ is their Savior today. Maybe down in junior church or even in this auditorium this morning. Do a work of grace now in every heart and life. In these moments of invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. I pray, Amen. Let's all stand. Three hundred fifty-seven in the hymn book. Three hundred fifty-seven, a famous hymn of faith, not necessarily.